This faith and finance podcast is underwritten in part by Praxis Mutual Funds. They are a leading faith-based family of mutual funds helping people integrate their finances with their values since 1994. With Praxis, your investments can make a difference for you and the world around you. Learn more at PraxisMutualFunds.com. They say life insurance is like a parachute. If you don't have it the first time, odds are you won't need it again. Hi, I'm Rob West. A funny line, but all kidding aside, life insurance is the only way most people can provide for their families if they should die. But what happens when it ends? I'll talk about that first today, and then it's on to your calls at 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. This is Faith and Finance, biblical wisdom for your financial decisions. Of course, we're talking about term life insurance here, which we almost always recommend. It's far cheaper than whole life and doesn't mix investing with a death benefit. You're much better off investing separately from an insurance policy. Now, term insurance, by definition, ends when the term expires. And we often get this question from listeners. What then? Well, generally, you have four options. The first is to simply let the policy lapse. If you had a 20-year policy that's ending, at this stage of your life, it's quite possible that you no longer need life insurance. If the kids are grown and out of the house, supporting themselves and your spouse's income plus Social Security survivor benefits is sufficient, then life insurance is a needless expense that you can put to better use in your retirement account. But if you still have dependents who rely on your income or a spouse whose income can't meet expenses, then you still need to have some type of term policy. And that leaves you with three more options. The next is to get a completely new term policy when the current one expires. We normally recommend one with a death benefit of 10 to 12 times your salary. Don't be surprised by how much more a new policy at this later stage in life will cost. A 50-year-old healthy male can expect to pay around $80 a month for a 20-year $500,000 policy or around four times the cost for a 30-year-old. That's simply based on actuarial tables. It's nothing personal. Of course, if the policy is only to provide for your spouse and not dependent children, you may be able to get by with less. For example, a policy that would pay off just the remaining principal on your mortgage, if any. And while the cost of a new policy might have given you sticker shock, it's usually less than you'll have to pay to simply extend your existing policy, which is another option. Why is that, you may be asking? Well, if you decide to get a new policy, you'll have to go through all of the underwriting procedures you did at age 30, a medical exam giving an extensive medical history, blood test, and so on. When all of that is complete, the insurance company has a pretty good idea of the risk it's taking on. Okay, so let's say you go through all of that and you're approved for a new term policy, but the monthly premiums are too high. Well, you have a few ways to bring them down. You can lower the death benefit. Instead of $500,000, maybe you can get by with just 250000 The company may encourage you to buy more insurance than is necessary, so you have to keep your own needs in mind. 
you can also lower the term. Instead of getting a new 20-year policy, maybe you can get by with a 10-year term. Again, just long enough to get the mortgage paid off, for example. And you can save up and opt to pay your premiums annually instead of monthly. Some companies will give you up to a 5% discount for making a yearly lump sum payment. Your next option for when your term insurance policy expires is you can simply extend it. If you decide to go that route, there's usually no medical workup required. But since the insurer is going into this blind with no idea of any medical conditions that may have arisen in the past 20 years, the premiums will be higher than you'd have with a new policy, sometimes a lot higher. But keep in mind, if you have developed a serious medical condition, you may not be able to get a new policy at all. In that case, extending your current policy is definitely the way to go, if you can afford it. If you can't, it leaves you with your last option, getting what's called a simplified term or instant issue policy. As you might guess, an instant issue policy requires no medical checkup. You apply, you're approved, and you start paying premiums. And usually you can do all of that online. Now, if you're thinking that sounds too good to be true, there must be a catch. Actually, there are three. First, the death benefit with this type of term policy tends to be smaller. Second, the term is likely to be shorter. And three, it probably will cost a lot more than a regular term policy that includes a medical exam. But for some folks, an instant issue policy could be a real blessing when their current term policy expires. All right, I hope that was helpful. Your calls are next, 800-525-7000. That's 800-525-7000. I'm Rob West, and this is Faith and Finance. We'll be right back. God's Word is packed with life-changing wisdom about your finances. And Faith and Finance is here to help you and many others to be wise stewards of God's resources. We rely on help from Faith and Finance patrons, supporters of this mission, to help us continue and expand our outreach. Please consider becoming a monthly Faith and Finance patron. Visit faithfi.com and click Give on the homepage. We're grateful for support from Eventide Investments on the Faith and Finance program. Eventide's approach to values-based investing is grounded in the belief that humankind was created in the image of God with intrinsic dignity, value, and worth. Eventide calls this investing that makes the world rejoice. More information is available at eventideinvestments.com. That's eventideinvestments.com. Hey, great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. You know, folks, as we think about our money, here's the big idea. We want to slay the money god, if you will. We want to recognize that our money is a tool given to us by God because it belongs to him and we can't have it become an idol in our lives. If 
ultimately uh, it becomes the end and not a means to an end, then we've not put it in its proper place. But when it's put in its place as a tool to accomplish God's purposes, wow, it's a powerful tool because we can help others on our path and we can use it to build relationships and to provide for our families, but do it in a way that allows us to work out our faith through our spending decisions so we're drawn into a more intimate relationship with the Lord. That's the big idea on this program each day as we want to encourage and equip you with godly wisdom and principles, not from me, but from God's Word to apply to your financial advice. If you'd like to learn more, download our app or check out all the content on our website. You can do it at faithfi.com. We'll begin today in Las Cruces, New Mexico. Hi, Sharon. How can we help you? Hi, and thank you for sharing your insight and wisdom. Um, I would just like to get clarification on the verse in Matthew 5, 42, where it says, Give to the one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Have Hmm. a couple of scenarios in our our family situation in that um, my husband has a relative who had come to him um, about a month or so ago and said that, she wanted to borrow $500, and her situation is is that she has a grown child living with her who also had, has not been living in a, a lifestyle that shows responsibility financially. Yeah. And yeah. so, um, you know, wondering about that scenario and not enabling that to continue yeah. um, that, that she would be in that situation. Um, because I'm not sure of how she is managing her money. And then another case, also um, a grown child in an extended family member who is choosing to live a lifestyle um, in the homosexual um, that may be also approaching for money. And so how do you handle that since we're called to be good stewards of what God puts in our care that we're not enabling others to do that. But then that verse says, do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Yeah. Well, that's really helpful background. And I think it's a question that a lot of people wrestle with. So I'm glad we're going to tackle this today. And I appreciate you referencing this verse as well. I think it can be confusing at first glance. And yet, if we dig into what Jesus was saying and what he wasn't saying, I think perhaps we can get some more insight into how to respond to this particular scenario. Uh, Notice that he isn't saying give to him what he asks. He also doesn't say, lend to him who wants to borrow from you. Uh, You see, God the Father doesn't give us all that we ask for, nor did Jesus give his disciples all that they asked for. So I think the idea here is the verse means we should respond with kindness, not resentment, to those who ask something of us, and we should stand ready to give when appropriate. But I think we need to determine, as to your point here, Sharon, uh, what kind of help to offer and whether, in each case, giving money would help or hurt the individual based on where they're at financially and spiritually. Would money uh, take a lifestyle that is moving away from the Lord and cause that to accelerate? Would it reinforce poor financial decision-making habits that we want to see corrected? Is there another way to help? You know, if we lived by the rule that we must give whatever anyone asks of us, we soon wouldn't have anything left to give. And to your point, we 
may actually be encouraging the wrong behaviors or outcomes. At the end of the day, it's uh, we give unto the Lord, but we also should be wise in how we do that. And so if there's obvious reasons that we should withhold that gift, I think there are other ways to help. Or perhaps we put some guardrails around the giving that says, you know what, I'd love to be able to help you. And, you know, I've found that without accountability and the right uh, habits being developed, it can actually take you in the wrong direction. So I'd like to connect you with a coach. And, you know, once you go through and complete that process, then, you know, I'd be willing to match every gift you make, you know, to a credit card or something that kind of reinforces the right ideas as opposed to just giving to someone that's demonstrated themselves not to be wise stewards that might inadvertently actually reinforce that negative behavior. Does that all make sense, though? Yes, it does. Thank you so much. That really does shed a lot of light. Yeah, good. So I'd go back and, and look at the, the verse a little more closely and just kind of think and pray through that uh, to see what it says, what it doesn't say. And then I think we need to take each matter up in prayer. Now, we're not always going to get it right, but we can ask the Holy Spirit for discernment as we look at each situation. In some cases, we may be led to give as the Lord leads and as we're able, and it may or may not be used exactly the way we want. And that's okay. That's ultimately between that person and the Lord. But obviously, if we see real indications that perhaps that gift could take them in the wrong direction, well, maybe that's a time to kind of hold back and say, Lord, what would you have me to do here? And is is there another way that I can actually be helpful? And that may involve tough love and saying, you know what, I'm going to refrain from giving, even though I'd love to help this person. And this is someone that I care about. I don't want to be a part of the problem here. And we could uh, we could do that if we're not careful. Sharon, thanks for being a part of the program today. 800-525-7000 is the number to call. Uh, let's quickly go to Florida. Uh, Unique, thank you for calling. How can we help? Hi, how are you? Doing great. Yes, I have a question. Um, I bought a car last year. Right now my payment is five ninety eight dollars a month. And I, if I sell my car right now, because I want to get out of debt, if I sell my car right now, it will be 10000 under. Is okay. there anything you could advise me on? Yeah, so the car uh, is worth $10,000 less than the loan you owe on it. Is that right? Correct. Okay, yeah. That's a tough situation. Unfortunately, we're seeing that more and more, and I'm afraid we're going to uh, start seeing a, a lot of this just given how high car prices were in the last six months of last year. They're starting to come down, but a lot of folks bought uh, cars at a premium just because of the shortage, which affected both the new and the used car market. And now with the high interest rates combined with this recessionary environment, uh, we're seeing car values decline. And uh, as a result, a lot of folks are upside down more so than we saw in the last uh, good number of years. So you've got really two options here, Unique. One is you can take out a personal loan for the difference between what you owe and the price you can get for the car when you sell it. Not a great option, but it is an option and it would allow you to get out from under that and hopefully lessen the you know the financial burden um, you would obviously have to have a mode of transportation with that scenario so you'd have to work through that the second option is uh, you can continue to make the payments on the car until you have enough equity in it 
to sell it for roughly what you owe. Uh, that may take another couple of years, and I realize things are tight. So, um, you know, I might look at the first one and just see what options, um, you know, you have there. You could obviously just turn it in, but that's going to leave a deficit balance, which will really trash your credit. And we want to be good stewards and make good on our obligations. And we obviously made a commitment to repay. So we don't want you to walk away from that. So I would explore those options, pray through it and see where you think you need to go from here. And I know this is going to be tough, but you'll get through it. And perhaps we can buy a car that fits the budget better next time. We're going to take a quick break and back with much more. Stay with us. Forty-five thousand. That's how many times FaithFi referred a listener to a certified kingdom advisor last year. And for good reason. These are trusted financial, legal, and accounting professionals who have completed a rigorous certification program to ensure biblically wise financial advice as part of their practice. You can find a local CKA professional in your area by going to faithfi.com and clicking on the Find a CKA button on the homepage. We're grateful for support from Movement Mortgage, who provides residential home loans in all 50 states. Guided by a mission to love and value people and a goal to redefine the mortgage process, Movement seeks to help others achieve their financial goals. You can find out more at movement.com slash faith. Movement Mortgage LLC supports equal housing opportunity, NMLS number 39179. For licensing information, please visit nmlsconsumeraccess.org. Great to have you with us today on Faith and Finance. I'm Rob West. We're taking your calls and questions. All right, back to the phones. Let's get to as many questions as we can between now and the end of the program today to Miami. Hi, Joyce. Thanks for calling. Go ahead. My husband had a 401k. The company went out of business. How could we find it? I've been trying to find it. And, um, I, you know, he's, he's divorced now. He's married again. But he's yeah. still asking me to try to help him. So... Sure. Real quick on this. Do you or he have any paperwork from his old 401k? See if it shows the planned administrator, which is usually outsourced to a third party. And if you can find that, you could contact them. If that doesn't work, you could go and it's going to be a little more challenging, but you go to the Department of Labor's website and look up the company's form 5500. 5500 again at the Department of Labor's website, and it should list its contact information. Uh, thirdly, uh, you could look at the website unclaimed.org. This is the National Association of Unclaimed Property Managers, and you could see if by chance there's a listing there, but those would be your next steps. Yeah, I tried that unclaimed, but I didn't get anywhere okay. with that. I tried it a couple right. years ago. Okay. Um, the next question, I, I wanted to go and purchase some I-bonds, but yeah. um, I heard you said in March it's going to, the, 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 it's 6.8 now and it's going to change. Is it going to go down very much or? It will go down. We don't know how much, but given that inflation is coming down because the Fed is so focused on slowing this economy, if you go ahead and buy 10000 let's say, or up to it of I-bonds today, you'd get that 6.89% for a full six months. At that point, it would adjust to the new rate that we'll know in May, and it's clearly going to be down. I would say it's going to be somewhere around the fours, I would expect. Um, that would be my best guess. Remember, you got to leave this money in for a year, and if you take it out in less than five years, you're going to pay a three-month 
uh, worth of interest penalty on it, but it's still going to be a decent rate. Five years, you know, because that will be to help my daughter because I'm 74, you know. Yeah. So like, instead of buying insurance, I wanted to use that $5,000, let it grow, and, you know, she could take care of business, you know, when I'm no okay. longer here. Yeah. Very good. TreasuryDirect.org, and you can add her as a beneficiary. Thank you for calling, Joyce. Let's head to Indianapolis. Uh, Ifadeo, thank you for calling. How can I help? So my question today is, um, I, I mean, what is the best way to, and I know about a college fund, which is a 529. I have that one for my children already. But, I mean, I know that one is mainly for college. If they have... Um, Scholarship, they might not I mean that money might not be useful, so I don't like that. So I yes. want to ask: Is there any other way one can save money for college? I was going through um, Ally Bank; they have something they call a UTMA, and also someone um, mentioned something to me about IUL. IUL which is, is that yeah. also an option to save money for children for college sure. or some other things for future purpose? Yes, very good. Well, those are great questions, Ifedeo, and I'm glad you're thinking about that now. Let me ask you a question. Uh, the first thing we need to look at whenever we're thinking about putting money aside is to define the time horizon. So would you like this money to be available for the kids in less than three years, less than five years, or less than 10 years? What would you think? Over 10 years. Okay. And, you know, keep in mind with the 529, you get the tax-free growth if it's used for qualified educational expenses. If it's, uh, if they get scholarships and grants, you can take the money out without any penalty. Um, and according to the new legislation that just came out, you can now roll over up to $35,000 from a 529 education savings into a child's Roth IRA. Uh, as long as the money's been in there for 15 years. So that would be an option up to the limits. Um, but if you just want it to be more generally available, not for retirement and not for college, and you understand that you can get it back for scholarships and grants, then I think if we're looking to save money that has a 10-year-plus time horizon, but you want it to be really available at any time, at that point, you're looking at either the custodial account that you mentioned, the UTMA, or just a straight brokerage account in your name. Now, here's the difference between the two. With the UTMA, Fideo, you have to recognize that that money becomes the child's asset at the age of majority in your state, which is typically 18. So at 18 years old, whatever you have put into that account, regardless of their spiritual and financial maturity, they have full access to those funds. And so you would need to be okay with that in order to uh, open and fund this account. So if they were making poor financial choices and they wanted to take that and buy a sports car, they could. Um, so you need to understand that. If you wanted more control over it to determine the right time and place to make that gift, then I would encourage you to open an account in your name or in the name of you and your wife. And we can talk in a second here about how you would invest it. But then it would be growing. It would be earmarked for the child specifically, but it's still owned by you in, a, in an account that's titled in your name so that it doesn't automatically become their asset when they turn 18. Does that make sense? Yes, 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 it does. Okay. Which would be more comfortable to you, the UTMA custodial account where they get it automatically or one that you control when it's dispersed? Um, either, either one of them is good. I mean, I, okay. I, I really trust them to be able to make some better judgment when they grow up. Okay. 
All right. Very good. Then the only other consideration is financial aid. So if you think they may qualify for need-based financial aid, that would be another reason why you wouldn't want to put it in the UTMA account because assets of the child uh, work against you more, much more significantly than an asset of the parent when it comes to financial aid eligibility with regard to need-based aid. So that would be the only other consideration. So let's say you said, no, I don't think we're going to qualify for need-based aid. We make too much money. Well, then if you're okay with them receiving the asset at the age of majority, the UTMA may be a great option. Then we can look at, okay, how do we invest it? I would probably use uh, index funds, uh, just high quality, low cost index funds. You could use a robo advisor like the Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, or our friends at soundmindinvesting.org could help with some mutual fund recommendations. But I would just use either high quality index ETFs or mutual funds and just capture the broad moves of the market over the next decade or more and let this money grow. You're going to pay some taxes on it as you sell each of these investments for a profit. But then, um, you know, you would have the money available for the child when he or she was of age and then they could use it however they want. How does that sound? Yeah, sounds pretty good. Okay, so I would go to either Charles Schwab or Fidelity to open that UTMA uh, account and then buy just some high-quality mutual funds. Again, soundmindinvesting.org could be a resource, or you could visit with our friends at Sound... uh, I mentioned Sound Mind Investing, or uh, you could use the Schwab Intelligent Portfolios, which is the robo-advisor solution. I think either of those would give you what you're looking for, some high-quality, well-diversified investments. You take a long time horizon, and you'll see some good growth over time. Thanks for calling, sir. Thank you for stopping by today. Thank you for listening and being a part of the program. I want to say thank you to my team, Amy, Dan, and Jim Henry. Uh, thank you for being here. Come back and join us tomorrow, will you? I'll be here. We'll look for you then. God bless you. Bye-bye. Faith and Finance is provided by FaithFi and listeners like you. 